Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll try to put it all together for you. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. We're back in the book of John. We're in chapter 19. Um, We're going to be looking at the crucifixion of Jesus today. What a solemn um, part of Scripture. Pilate was trying to wiggle out of all of this. He was offering them um, a choice now from back in verse 18. He was saying, hey, you know what? I'll let somebody else go which is a custom, you know, at the Passover. I'll let a prisoner go. And uh, so he brings out Barabbas. He said, um, but the Jews cried out for Barabbas. You know, what a shock that must have been to Pilate. That they, you know, Barabbas was a a murderer, a, a robber, you know, a thief, insurrectionist. I mean, he's not anybody that the Romans would want to let go. And he's not... Anybody that the Jews would want to receive back into their society. But it just shows you um, how corrupt all this was and what a hard human heart actually does. So, chapter 19, verse 1, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Now, that was against the law because there was no crime against him. There's no evidence. There's no witnesses. But um, um, perhaps he thought, that that would satisfy them if he flogged them, let him go, case closed. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head um, and arrayed him, in a purple, arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. And uh, so uh, McGee says they often would play a game with the prisoners by blindfolding him. Uh, by by showing him all their fists and then blindfolding him, and each one would strike him, and except for one, and he's supposed to guess who did not hit him. And of course, um, you know the prisoner could never guess, and they would just do the game over and over, beat him to a pulp. Um, interesting that Jesus would probably know with his divine knowledge who it was anyway, but. These soldiers weren't even understanding that he was there to bear their sins as well. So Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So he goes, Look, I found no guilt. I flogged him. I've had him beaten. 
you know, and he he probably put the crown and the robe on him to try to get a laugh out of the people, you know, and let everybody go home. <clears throat> Verse 5, so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. So, man, these chief priests were ready for blood. They They wanted him put to death. He was too much of a threat to them. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Again, Pilate, cheap politician here, he doesn't want to do all this and be involved, and he does not want to uh, crucify him. He's trying to find a way out. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself to be the Son of God. But again, they don't even have any witnesses. But now they're citing that they're the law people. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters, and again he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus is the one who has authority over Pilate, and Pilate is actually on trial in front of Jesus. Pilate is such an unjust judge, trying to judge a just judge. Pilate has no witnesses. So, Pilate's judgmental um, style and standards are on display in front of the just judge. Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So, any authority that Pilate claims to have, he says, was given from above. So, Jesus again speaks truth right in front of Pilate that you have no authority over me except what the Father has given you. So, verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. Again, Pilate wants no part. He can see the bravery, the dignity that Jesus is displaying, probably on a human level, but he finds he has no evidence, and he, he knows this is a setup, and he's being used. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Okay, now they're pulling rank. They're saying, look, we're going to report you to Caesar. Now Pilate's worried about his job, job security. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Okay? So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic uh, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews... Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Okay? Completely, uh, no charges, valid, spineless, cheap politician, worrying about his own job now. 
he buckles to the mob, to the crowd that he already knows. He already knows. He's judged them as a bunch of corrupt religious leaders. So they took Jesus, verse 17, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. No, Golgotha. Golgotha. It means place of the skull. And there they crucified him with two others, one on either side, and Jesus in between them. We don't get a lot, as McGee says, we don't get a lot of details of the crucifixion in John. John tends to keep the theme that Jesus is the Son of God. And so, and it's like he spares us from all those things. Pilate also wrote, verse 19, an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So Aramaic being the Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So this is for the whole world to read and to see. So everybody there could see it. Isn't it ironic? Jesus was dying for the sins of the whole world, Jews and Gentiles as well. And it's proclaimed to the Jews and the Gentiles. Verse 21, So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather the man said, I am, I am the king of the Jews. So in other words, don't write he is, just write that that's what he said. Verse 22, Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Pilate is done with these people. He was done with these people. And he wrote it to kind of honor Jesus' point of view. And I think that's probably the only thing left he felt like he'd do, but that's what he wrote, ironically fulfilling prophecy and scripture. Verse 23, when soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in a piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This is fulfilling scripture in the Psalms, Psalms 22, it describes the suffering of his thirst being pierced in his hands and his feet and his bones not being broken. So I believe all that's from Psalm 22, according to my study Bible. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, and as my study Bible says, that might be Salome and Mary, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. So when Jesus saw, so we got a lot of Marys here. We got Mary Magdalene, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and then um, his mother, Mary. So um, then when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John is probably referring to himself, uh, 
Standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So in other words, uh, as my study Bible says, in keeping with biblical injunctions to honor one's parents, Jesus made a provision for his mother, who was almost certainly widowed, and probably in her late 40s or early 50s, with little or no personal income. On, uh, so Jesus is addressing them now to make provisions for his mother, customary, and he, he fulfills a role of a son right there on the cross. Verse 28, After this, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, the sour wine is kind of wine that soldiers would use to quench their thirst. And so it's not a, uh, a wine that they would use like at a wedding. It's just cheap, cheap wine. And they put it on a hyssop branch on a sponge. Interesting that the hyssop branch was a simple shrub that it was used to sprinkle blood on the doorposts at the original Passover. So the hyssop branch is being used as well. And this being thirst, uh, that also fulfills scripture that Jesus thirsted. Uh, and I believe that's also from Psalm 22. His sufferer's thirst. So, and it's also interesting to know Jesus said it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And I've heard it said, you know, one thing you know to take home from this is they didn't kill him. The Romans didn't kill him. He gave up his spirit to go back to be with the Father in heaven until being reunited with a new body after his resurrection. But they never killed him. Verse 31, since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. In other words, they just didn't want decaying bodies on the cross on, the, on this holy day, um, on the day of Sabbath. So that the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other, in other words, the two thieves on either side of Jesus, who had been crucified with him because they had already died. But when they came to Jesus and they saw that, I mean, sorry, that they, had, they were still alive, so they broke their legs so they'd die fast. But then when they came to Jesus and they saw that he was already dead, in other words, he had already given up his spirit, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once came out blood and water. So in other words, confirmation that he was dead, even though they didn't break his legs. And that also fulfills prophecy because not a bone was broken. That was uh, to fulfill Psalm 34.20, Exodus 12.46, Numbers 9, uh, 9.12. And um, and they would look upon him whom they've pierced. Uh, that would fulfill Zechariah twelve ten and Revelation one seven. Uh, and then John tells us these scriptures as well. He said, "He who saw it 
has borne witness, that means he's referring again to himself in third person, John. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you may also believe. In other words, I'm saying all this, I saw it, I witnessed it, he did die, that you may believe. For these things that took place, that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says they will look on him whom they have pierced. John is saying this to fulfill, you know, like, look, I saw it, believe it, it's true. He really, really died, and he died in this way. And look at all these ways that they're fulfilling Scripture. So now we're going to stop here. We'll continue our study tomorrow, Friday, uh, through this great, great book of John. We'll turn the rest of the podcast over to our co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you're doing great. Look forward to hearing what you've got to say today. And as always, from me to all of you, God bless you. Keep your heart centered on Christ on this great spiritual battlefield and we'll see you here next time. Hello. So today's teaching is coming from John chapter 19, beginning at verse 1, all the way through to verse 37. So in our study yesterday, we saw the Lord Jesus Christ cross the brook Kidron, and then he went over to the um, Mount of Olives, and that's where the mob came and Jesus was among that mob and they arrested him and then at first he was taken to Anus, that's the father-in-law to um, Caiaphas who was the high priest. Anus was the high priest according to the um, religious leaders, the Jews and Caiaphas was recognized as high priest by the Romans. So Jesus, we saw the Lord Jesus Christ's trial begin yesterday. So we're going to continue from there. Verse 1 of Scripture reads, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. So the thing about this is, if the Lord Jesus Christ is innocent, he should be turned loose. Because, you know, first of all, Pontius Pilate was wondering, you know, based on the charges that were brought to him, that, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ was innocent. And the charge that they were demanding, like, he be crucified, was not making sense. So, if the Lord Jesus Christ, like I was saying, if the Lord Jesus Christ was innocent, he should be loose, let go. If he's guilty of the charge that was brought against him, then he should be crucified. So there is no in-between. So to scourge the Lord Jesus Christ was unlawful and wrong. But Pilate thought this would placate them. So Pilate was playing cheap politics here because he wanted to impress the um, Jews here, that's the religious leaders. Verse 2 of John 19 goes on to read, And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put him, and they put on him a purple robe. So when a man, back then in the days of um, in the Roman Empire, so when a man had been sentenced to death, the soldiers 
the Roman soldiers could have and do whatever they pleased with the um, prisoner before he was crucified. And that's what they actually did to the Lord Jesus Christ here. Verse 3 goes on to read, And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. So in that day, you know, Dr. Jimmy McGee always explains it really well. In that day, the soldiers played a game that they called hot hand. You know, where they would actually, you know, surround the prisoner, surround the, the, the prisoner and show the prisoner their fists. And then they would blindfold this prisoner who's on the death sentence. And in this case, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they would actually, all, all of them, but one of them, make a fist and hit him and ask him to guess who had hit him. That's if he was conscious after hitting him. And of course, the prisoner always guessed it wrong. And, you know, they would go on doing it until they actually beat him up so badly. They beat him to a pulp, which is what they did to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was so badly beaten up and it would have been hard to actually recognize him. And I'm pretty sure um, Precious Pilate was in shock. And um, this is actually stated. This was um, fulfilled. Prophecy was fulfilled in Isaiah 52, which is also part of Isaiah 53. That was in Isaiah 52, verse 14, which reads... Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So he was beaten up so badly. Um, I can't even comprehend to you know, begin how badly he was beaten up, how marred he was beaten up. So the Lord Jesus Christ was marred more than any person or man. The verse 4 goes on to read, Pilate went out again, said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. So like I said earlier, Pilate didn't find any fault in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if he didn't find any fault in the Lord Jesus Christ, why scourge him? So here now they move outside again. So they had started off in the palace of Caiaphas. Then they move over to Pilate's hold outside. And Pilate took him inside, brought him outside again, and took him inside. And now they come outside again. So Pilate says he finds no fault in him, and yet he's beaten him to a pulp. He's marred him so badly, which was not just at all. They should have let him go if Pilate felt you know, the Lord Jesus Christ had no fault, but Pilate was playing cheap politics. He was a politician. Verse 5 goes on to read, Then Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. So here, behold the man. Powerful statement. But the Lord Jesus Christ was not just a man. He was also the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He's on his way to the cross. Verse 6 goes on to read. 
Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You you take him and crucify you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. So it was at this particular point that he called for uh, that's Pilate. He called for a basin of water and washed his hands of it. Pilate may have washed his hands of it, but he still was the one who made the decision to actually have him crucified. Verse 7, we're going to read. The Jews answered him, We have no law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the son of God. Verse 8, Therefore, when Pilate heard that, that saying, he was more afraid. So here the Jews, these are the religious rulers. And Pilate is not satisfied and again takes him up inside. He's not satisfied with their reasoning and their charge. Verse 9, goes on to read, And went again into the Praetorium, and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. So here, there are differences in sin. Sorry, there are differences of sin as well as judgment. So the religious rulers had more light than Pilate, but that didn't actually exonerate Pilate. He's also guilty. And But Pilate is actually trying to get off the hook. He's trying to play politics. He didn't want to take the responsibility of making the decisions. That particular decision here, this is why he got a water and, you know, a basin and water and tried to wash away the responsibility that he's the one who actually made the call. So in life, you know, like Dr. Jeeva McGee said time and time again, you know, with light comes responsibility comes a lot of greater responsibility. It doesn't mean because you don't have the light or the information, then you will not have the responsibility. No. So the high priests here, they knew the word, so they had the greater responsibility. They sinned greater. So verse 12 goes on to read, From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend, and whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. So they were here. You have these religious leaders. They were prepared to report Pilate to Rome that he was passing by that which was um, treacherous, and Pilate didn't want that to happen. So he was, you know, because he was a politician, so he didn't want to be in bad standing with Rome. And, you know, come and think of it, it's actually sad when you have a government today that gets into the hands 
you know, of men who are power hungry and, you know, they don't regard God or man. It, you know, it's, it's very evil because these people are just power hungry and they're just self-serving. Verse 13 goes on to read, When Pilate therefore heard that, that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. So here, the Lord Jesus Christ is now being delivered into the hands of both sinful, religious, and political men. And how the world saw his the death of Christ, you know, is different at different um, levels. So, from God's viewpoint, the cross was appropriation, that is, it was the mercy seat where God could actually extend mercy to us, where a holy and righteous God could reach down and serve sinners because his judgment seat was now made into a mercy seat because now we have the appropriation. God could actually reach you and me today. And then from the viewpoint of the Lord Jesus Christ, how... um, the death of Jesus Christ is seen he's it's seen as he's the savior and it was you know a sweet smelling savor of a sacrifice that he made himself an offering to sin so it was an act of obedience unto death and obedience unto the father so he was obedient unto death and obedient of the cross and from the viewpoint of believers it was a substitution he took your place he took our place he took my place so he was sinless but was suffering for the sinner then from the viewpoint of satan it was a triumph and also a defeat so it was a triumph way back in genesis 3 Verse 15, it reads, And I will put an enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So here, you know where the heel of a woman's seed is being bruised. That was the triumph, but, you know, the that was the triumph from Satan's viewpoint. And then the defeat um, from Satan's viewpoint is, is going to be, um, he's going to be defeated because the head of the serpent will be crushed someday. He will destroy the one who was, who has the power of death. And that's the devil. And then, from the viewpoint of the world outside, the non-believers, it was just a brutal murder. Verse 15. But they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! 
crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So here, Matthew actually states it like so. That's Matthew 27, verse 20. Yeah, Matthew 27, verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hand before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see it. You see to it. So even if Pilate said he is guilty of the blood of this person, Pilate is still the one who handed down the judgment. Verse 16 goes on to read, Then he delivered him to them to be crucified, so they took Jesus and led him away. So they took Jesus and led him away. That was in fulfillment of prophecy, and that was in Psalms 94, verse 20, which reads, Shall the throne of iniquity which devises evil by law have fellowship with you. So here, um, it's um, in fulfillment of scripture. Verse 17 goes on to read, And he bearing the cross went out to place to a place called, to a place they called the place of the, of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. Verse 18, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus on Jesus in the center. So here it's where they actually crucified him. Even John does not give us, you know, a picture of the crucifixion, like the details. He just um, highlights the event that actually took place. Verse 19 goes on to read, Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. So all four Gospels, all four Gospel titles actually, should actually be put together, and we actually get the complete title here. Verse 20 goes on to read, then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. So they actually led him outside of the city to crucify him, and they didn't want to do it from inside the city. So they were not only fulfilling prophecy, but they are fulfilling a type. So in the sin offering, they're fulfilling this offering. And, you know, back in the Old Testament, that's in Leviticus. So in the sin offering, both the bullock and the goat were taken outside the camp and slain. And the Lord Jesus Christ is dying for our sins. So he was our sin offering. He's dying for our sins, the sins of all of us. Verse 21 goes on to read, Therefore the chief priests of the Jews 
said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. So this statement here, um, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, it was written in three languages. That was in Hebrew, and Hebrew was a language of religion. It was written in Greek, and Greek was a language of culture and education, and it was written in Latin. That's Latin. Um, was a language of law and order. So the Lord Jesus Christ died for all of us, and it was written in all these three languages. So it was written for the world that he died for all. Verse 23 goes on to read. Actually, verse 22, Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Verse 23 goes on to read, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, of which of made four parts to which soldier apart and also the tunic the tunic was without seam woven from the top to one piece so they said therefore among themselves let us not tear it but cast lots for it who whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots so here prophecy was being fulfilled verse um 25 goes on to read now there stood by the cross of jesus his mother and his mother's sister mary the wife of clopas and mary magdalene so verse 26 goes on to read when jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved the disciple whom loved of obviously that was john standing by he said to his mother woman behold your son so here the lord jesus christ is actually saying to his mother that this is your son and the hour has come and i will clear your name which he actually did when he died by his death of crucifixion and resurrection verse 28 7 sorry goes on to read and he said to his disciples, Behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciples took her to his own home. And this was actually John, verse 28, goes on to read. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished and the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. So here, um, no details are actually given of the crucifixion. And the Spirit of God pulled down upon that a mantle of night that we might not be able to actually see it. And um, here Jesus says, I thirst. And this was the fulfillment of prophecy that's in Psalm 23, verse 15. Um, 
was pretty nice, I continued. Now, a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on his up, and they put it to his mouth. So, this is in fulfillment of prophecy that Psalms 69 verse 21 which reads so that's psalm 69 verse 21 and it reads they also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink so that was in front of prophecy even here in psalms 22 verse 15 reads um my strength is dried up like a post shred pot shred and my tongue clings to my jaws you have brought me to the death to the dust of death so he was thirsty here so all this was in fulfillment of prophecy verse 30 goes on to read so when jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished and bowing his head he gave up his spirit and i'm gonna drop down to verse 33 and verse 33 reads and so but when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs as the soldiers. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately water and blood came out. Verse 35. And he who has seen his, oh, has testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. For these Things are done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And this we have in Psalms 34, verse 20, which reads, his, He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. So this is a fulfillment of prophecy and um you know there are two scriptures where um two scriptures here were actually fulfilled so a bone was not broken another scripture was they shall look on him who they pierced and that was you know that soldier who pierced his side so that was also fulfilled and this we have in Zechariah 12 verse 10 which reads and I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication then they will look on me whom they pierced yes they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for first born so here the soldiers did not know that 
what they were doing was in fulfillment of prophecy. So this is our teaching for today. Thank you all for listening in. God bless you all and have a pleasant day. Bye-bye. Thank you.